when it comes to business you should operate a business in the way that it works without you it can operate without you that's what i fundamentally believe in so why do we as entrepreneurs not have the mentality that we should build a business to a certain level and exit but no we want to just build it keep running keep running keep running keep running keep running no i feel like we should get to a point where we can build something realize that you've taken as far as you can take it to on this episode, I'm joined by an amazing, amazing, amazing lady who has so many accolades to her name. Hey guys, my name is Lorraine Wright, AKA also known as the Chief Side Hustler. Uh, she's a speaker, she's a community advocate, and she's a business owner, and she is a tech professional, a brand ambassador, and as well as an MBE. Are you thinking about building your wealth? Are you thinking about where to start or not knowing where to start in your wealth creation journey? At Property Wealth Education, we teach people how to get started, how to build an empire, and how to invest passively and actively using property in your wealth creation. Month in, month out, week in, week out, we have curated courses that is available to you, free and paid and through our upgraded mentorship program, The Wealth Circle. So if you're thinking of building your wealth, we want to invite you to click on a, a link below the show notes on this video uh, to book a call with us. We'd like to have a chat to help you start to build your wealth, build a legacy for yourself and your family. Hey, 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 welcome to The Wealth and business podcast. Without further ado, oh. my sister, Lorraine <laughs> Wright. Hi, hi, hi. When you were doing the intro, I was like, who's that? Because this doesn't feel like me, but hey, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for, for being here. Like, honestly, number one, I want to say thank you for your support to my work. Uh, just on Friday, you obviously reposted me on your media to say, guys, go support Dr. Daniel's book. Mm-hmm. So I just want to openly say thank you for that. And I'm so fascinated by your work. Mm-hmm. Like your accolades feels like you're in your fifties. <laughs> so many, so many things that you've achieved already. So, you know, let's very quickly go into this. Mm. What was growing up like? What was childhood like? Because mm-hmm. I think if your childhood was right, that's where that's where we have where we are yeah or maybe if your child was also wrong maybe that's also why we're here as yeah. well because sometimes a lot of people hang on to some things in the past you know from my childhood my father did this my mother mm. did this or oh, that's why i couldn't be the great version of myself mm. but what was childhood like for you firstly thank you for having me on the podcast that one i don't take this opportunity for granted at all because you are an inspiration you know (laughs) so everything you've been saying i'm like you're an inspiration for what you've been doing and just hearing your story as well is incredible um but for me um so i grew up i'm first generation british born Ghanaian. um parents came over here in the 80s and they you know wanted to have a better life you know Uh, my mom started doing jobs odd jobs cleaning jobs etc etc um you know she found a place in south london um a two-bed apartment flat and that was on a council estate mm. in um brixton and then she had us and you know it was a upbringing where it was a typical Ghanaian home you know mm. it was study 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 and then work that is 
what I remember. It was the point that, and it was it was a study, 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 and work. But also, if my mum's gone out to go and work, I need to make sure there's food when she comes back home as mm. well. So learning how to cook from very long, young age. Um, but I grew up in a single parent household. My mum and my dad separated very early. Um, and I just remember my mum just being just a hard worker, just hard worker, right? She do, she's come to the UK with nothing and she's trying to build her life. And growing up on a council estate, you know, you're surrounded by individuals that um, don't necessarily, I mean, not a lot of them were at that time looking like me because at the time it wasn't cool to be African. It was the Caribbeans. It was, you know, uh, you know, maybe those individuals from different diverse backgrounds. Yeah. But we felt like we were still in the minority because those days being African, I mean, the terminology you terminologies you'll get heard as thrown out was like monkey and things like that. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So there was real racism there. Absolutely. Um, but um, throughout, my mum really just drummed into us to just work hard, study hard. And I remember getting to the age of 16 and the first time when you get your NI card, your NI number, and she's dragging me to the high street in Clapham to go and find a job. So she took, she got me to do a CV and we went to go and find a job. And I started my first job working in the shop in Mothercare. And, you know, from then I just was really just adamant that a, I didn't want to be at home because my mom would get me to do chores. So you wake up on a Saturday morning, you have to clean the, the bathroom. That was my chore. <laughs> and I didn't want to do it. So I was like, I'm going to work. I'm going to make sure I just work every weekend. The moment I'm up, I'm going to straight to work because I just didn't want to do those chores. So that was kind of like my upbringing, right? But from a very young age, it was very much, you know, work, education. And that was, yeah, what was drummed into us from a very young age. Interestingly, what you said there, you know, growing up, you know, you just wanted to work. And the reason why you wanted to work was you didn't want to do those chills. Mm -hmm. And reverse the case, I was born and bred in Nigeria. Okay. And doing chills in Africa for your parents is normal. You're right. Your elders are normal. So basically, your elder brother is seemed to be in the role of your dad. Right. Your right. elder sister is seem to be in the role of your mother. Right. Yeah. And they have the right to tell you whatever they choose <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> to go and do it. To yeah. go and do it. And you have no choice than to do yeah. it. If not, they will smack you. Yeah. They will beat you yeah. up. And your mom will come back and join them <laughs> and beat you up. <laughs> I get that. And that is what it looks like yeah. in Africa. And I, I, I've got a 15-year-old son mm. and a 12-year-old daughter. And I, and I sometimes say... My son, get that done for me. It's like, daddy, um, what do I get for that? Or sometimes that or that, I'm like, and I'm trying to, obviously the society is almost like you're trying to raise your children in mm. this country, uh, which I love very much, mm. by the way. England has done a lot for me. Mm. Um, I'm trying to raise my children. I'm trying to understand in my house, this is Lagos. Mm. This is Benin City. Mm. This is Nigeria. Mm. My house is Nigeria. Mm. Then if you step out my outside door, yeah. then you're in England. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and and, and yeah. my son telling me, oh, daddy, no, you have to be realistic. I know you grew up in Africa. And he's obviously yeah. he's 15 now. He's trying to be his own yeah. man. And it's quite challenging. And <laughs> There's something in the waters, because that's interesting for you to say that, right? He's asking you, what am I going to get in return? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas you just had to do it. So where did that come from for us to start thinking that we can negotiate with our parents? Do you know what I mean? Like, where if did that you, come from? If you try that in Africa, <laughs> you try that in Nigeria till tomorrow. Like, obviously I'm traveling back home soon. And, I, you know, the last time I went home was last year. I still, my two knees still have to go on the ground to mm, greet my mom. Of course. And when I see my other, same thing. Of my course. two knees have to go. Yeah. You know, 
I think I always say this African culture is one of the most beautiful cultures right. if you really look at it. Right. But somehow it's a bit sad that, you know, we have embraced the white culture. Yeah. The societal yeah. culture of what we've met. Yeah. You know, because I'm wearing a shirt right mm. now and it's called a shirt mm. or it's, it's made by, you know, I bought it from Max and mm. Spencer. And I just can't wait. Like, I wish... I was very passionate about fashion mm. that I actually can actually start developing my own share mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. my name, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so much work to still be done, mm-hmm. you know, and Africa has some most amazing clothes, food, yeah. different things that we cannot really, I mean, it's, it's coming up now. I mean, kudos to Africa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I want to, that's an interesting point about the clothes thing. So we're starting, myself and my husband, we're starting a fashion line in yeah. the kaftan space, mm. so African wear. And it's interesting you say this because we have this debate. So we went, for example, to a Ghana conference that was here in the UK. And when you go there, if you wear a kaftan, for example, in that environment, it's it looks good. It looks good, right? But then if you wear a kaftan... To a business to conference. A business conference. You look awkward. You look awkward. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And in Ghana, it's almost like it's also. I don't know how. It, it, there is this cultural thing that's happened recently, where they try to embrace. They embrace suits because it makes them feel. Some I've seen now, if they wear suits, they feel like they're more business orientated. Yes. But where did that come from? Because I feel like. If our, our wear is kaftans and African wear, why can that not be seen as business wear? Do you yeah. see where I'm going with it's, that? It, it, this is the thing. It's like, honestly, like I was speaking to my cousin who's a designer. He he um, he makes suits. Mm. And I said to him, can you make me African mm. material suits? Mm. So obviously it's English, English made, English people yeah. created suits. But if I can start wearing suits, there is African fabrics. Yes. And thank goodness I've got a voice, a little yeah. voice now, yeah. and people can start seeing that I'm wearing it all the yeah. time. And you know, my well, help us wear one of mine. Then. <laughs> Honestly, anyone like anyone who's watching this, because we've got a lot of audience from Ghana, yeah. Nigeria, the UK. And listen, feel free. I'll model for you for free as long as you can show me some new. You know, just give them to me for free. I wear them every single day because I love suits yeah. anyway. And and this is the thing, you would never find a Mister. Richie Sunak, who is now the Prime Minister of uh, Britain, and as well as the Joe, you know Joe Biden, a mm. Prime Minister, um, the President of the United States, mm. go to Nigeria and wear an Agbada mm. throughout his visit mm. in, Niger- mm. in Nigeria. Mm. And I think that the more Africans start to really understand the power that we also carry, mm-hmm. the better for us. Mm. You know, because there's a lot of work to be yeah, done. When we is. talk about wealth creation, you know, let me share something very, very quickly. Mm. You know, and this is where this is going to. Um, I was doing a little bit of a research the other day, and it says that the you know black people, African people, you know, we're still one of the poorest people on the food chain, regardless of how much we think we've come. Okay. It says Africa. It says it says black African group were the most likely to be in the lowest uh, quantile of the wealth statistics. Mm. Right, with over fifty four percent. Over fifty-four percent still live below forty-two thousand two hundred pounds per year income. Wow, forty-two thousand two hundred pounds per year income. Mm. So you can see that there's still a lot of work to do. But however, the average household of maybe the Asian and uh, Caucasian minority, Mm. you know, 
we're looking about obviously the professionals and stuff like that but we're obviously looking about you know 80 to about mm. 100,000 pounds of income mm. so there's work to be done yes. and how can we start to reverse this is where I'm going to yeah. with this until we until we learn to support each other and buy from each other let's be very clear about this like I can go to a, a you know a restaurant now a Chinese restaurant to buy Chinese mm. food yeah will a China man go into a Ghanaian shop to buy jello fries no he wouldn't <laughs> so I think it's time for every aspect of black businesses to start achieving what Afrobit has achieved mm. and until we do that we you know we're not going to be able to distribute the wealth. you know the wealth yeah. so what's your take on that no, I find that's interesting right I think there is absolutely there's this disparity um, I think it there is a more deeply rooted challenge right yes. um, it's nothing that yes I think we can look at Afrobeats as the is a crossover but Afrobeats is a cultural thing that um, can cross over but when it comes to business and a mindset there is still work to be done in that area and that's something that you can't just change overnight or I mean Afrobeat rose over let's say a 10 year period right we're starting with the the P-squares of the world we're starting with those individuals that started like way back right and it's only now that you've got the DeVitos and the Whiskers and you know whoever at the forefront right now so that's yeah. come over a period of time but for us now when it comes to business and sharing the wealth and letting our culture kind of penetrate and cross over so that the Chinese man now comes and buys jollof. It takes amplifying voices like you're doing, for example, on these podcasts. It takes us having a seat at the table in boardrooms and top corporates. It takes us um, making sure that our children are going to schools, that they have access to a wider network, you know. It takes, it. you know, if, if, if there is still a disparity between if there is still the realization that Oxbridge and private education is the route to success, and then there is disparity between the individuals that are now going to those schools and those places, then ultimately there is going to be an issue, right? Mm -hmm. So that it takes us to now ensure that, that funnel there is a funnel of individuals, diverse talents going through those, that education system. If that education system is still seen, deemed to be the route to success or yeah. one route to success, I personally don't always think that's the way because people can break the norm and you know they don't have to even go through a formal education route yeah. and still be successful like me there you go there you go but if society still sees that oh you should go to Eton and then go to Cambridge or whatever it may be and therefore there's not enough people going to Eton that look like us then ultimately there's something broken there yeah. right so where do we there is it, it just trickles back down mm -hmm. right I remember yesterday or over the weekend I met up with a lady who is the MD a Ghanaian lady in MD at Accenture and she was telling me that her son 13 year old son no her 16 year old son is getting ready was it 16 or 17 he's getting ready to go to undergraduate course at Oxford and then she was saying like she's had to get him through cricket she's had to get him to do certain things different things this is because her mind has broadened, right, in order yeah. to get to that. So how do we now educate our children to follow certain routes so that they can now have access to those in those those universities, those schools, etc.? And it takes that, but it takes people like you and I to be in those positions. Her mum is an MD at Accenture. That's not normal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? 
but she's a representation that can help her future generations. So there's a lot of work to be done all the way through. School system, education system, boardroom, etc., etc. I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. I couldn't agree anything less. I'll give you a very simple example. When I began my journey way back in 2016, first time I went to a room, a conference that was you know, property and wealth creation was being taught. When I go into that room, I was the only black man and I've mm. shared it over and over and over and again in my books and everything else. Well, for me, before that time of my life, the only people I ever associated myself with was black people. Mm. Church, parties, food, everything. Yep. You know, where would I go to eat, you know, the other food? But except for black food or mm. except Nigerian food. And that was my life for sure. a very long time in this country. Sure. But obviously, what changed was that conference for me. Mm. The moment, because I was an Uber driver, I was a taxi mm-hmm. driver, mm-hmm. I lost my business. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to that room and feeling depressed, feeling low, wow. feeling angry, not happy with myself. And the first thing I did was when I go into the room, I said to myself, I can hear my ears. You don't belong here. Oh, but I stood and I stood and I heard a little tiny voice telling me, no, you belong here. You belong here. You belong here. You belong here. And I remember going to church on Sunday and I was just sharing my, to my, one of my friends from church that, like, oh, listen, I went to this property thing, da, 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 da. And the first thing he said to me, he said, that thing that you said you're doing is for white people, it's for, not for us. And I'm like, for one minute, I kind of accepted, but the next minute I rejected it. Mm. And I said, no, because of that, I'm gonna go and do whatever it takes. Yes. And I started building on my courage. Obviously, I was going through a very major challenge in my life at that time till tomorrow there are a lot of people that will that will see themselves in the room that they truly belong but they will say that it's not for them mm. because of societal backgrounds your community you know what you've been told from your childhood that you yes. will become and you would not become and stuff like that mm. so there is a lot of work to be done Absolutely. you know and this brings me to you know when my team sent me your your profile and I was looking at I'm like wow this is powerful you know how come I didn't meet people like this like four years ago, three, you know, five years ago, six years ago? But obviously, maybe at that time, you two was also making your journey. Obviously, life's all about going through that journey and, you know, keep, keep developing, keep growing. And now when I was, I was looking at it, the Queen of England honored you with an MBE award. Mm. All right. And I'm also looking, a lot of people around you are starting side hustling business and you're a champion mm. as an entrepreneur who's also helping other entrepreneurs start and grow. Mm. And just recently, HSBC and Black Business Show has nominated you to be top 25 black female entrepreneur. Mm. And not just that, it doesn't end. I can go on and on and on. I'm going to come to how did we get here from that girl who did one of the shows at home, right? And not just that, you was listed in 2018 in the power list of UK most influential person or people within the African and, you know, Afro-Caribbean and the business, black business show as well. So from not doing shows, you know, shows, from not doing shows, you know, from not wanting to work, I can see how much aggressively you basically decided to go and be successful. So tell us about, because first of all, the society of of who we are or where we came from, our struggles, going from the council flats and stuff like that. You don't see these things on the news of people like you who are winning every day. 
right? But you see, when you watch BBC, you watch all these different channels every now and then. Obviously, they're, they're, they're trying to celebrate us more now. But five years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago, it was worse. Oh you yeah. know? So tell us, how did that begin for you? Gosh, that's a huge question. <laughs> um, where, where did it begin? I think it probably began at university. So I I went to Brunel University and I like how you said that you were surrounded by black people, right? So for me, I went to university. I did leave college with three A's. I could have gone to an Oxford or a Cambridge or somewhere. But the, the problem was I didn't know I could. Nobody told me that I could, right? With those degrees those A-levels I could have chosen to go anywhere I don't know I think nowadays it's like A-stars etc but yeah. those like those days it was A is a top grade but I didn't have I wasn't surrounded by a network that can educate me on the fact that you can go to an Oxbridge or a Cambridge or Redbrick University yeah. but because I was surrounded by I can't say this in the, I mean, probably less informed less that's a oh that's a great way to explain <laughs> less informed individuals the same way that brother said to me property was for only that's, white people that's my point less informed individuals I remember a career counsellor or whatever was like oh I mean why don't you try going to Brunel or someone like that do you know what I mean that career counsellor was a white individual so but I also used my own wisdom or let's say God's wisdom God God gave me wisdom at the time to look for a course that allowed me to actually have a sandwich placement so a year out during the course so I could actually get some hardcore experience during that time of university so going off to university I went to Brunel University which was majority black like it was I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and it's the kind of the UK version of like a, H, a HBCU, like a, a um, historically black college that you would call it in the US. Like Brunel is like infam infamously known as a university that has a lot of black people. But the great thing about going there was that everybody was hungry. Mm. Everybody was hungry to break a stereotype. Everybody was hungry to hustle. So I'm now surrounded by individuals and I thank God that I went there because if I went to somewhere like an Oxford or Cambridge at the time where like if your colleague said that place is for maybe white people or whoever it may be maybe I wouldn't have had the hustle I wouldn't have had to fight I don't know I, who knows right yeah. but because I was surrounded by really hungry individuals it taught me like I can also be we can also we, let's hustle there was this power in unity you know, where you have your African Caribbean society, you, we started to build an entrepreneurship society. We had individuals come in and speak to us who were like, I remember those days, like Tim Campbell had just finished being on The Apprentice and he was now coming and speaking. And we're seeing, wow, there's somebody who looks like us that knows about business. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So we were able to relate those people around us that we can relate with. And there's power in that unity. Right. We, I remember seeing in the, the, the local chicken shop was opened by, opened by a guy called Courtney. He's now running business. Do you know what I mean? So we're seeing people that look like us that are trying to do things. A guy called Bams, he, you know, before even hair extensions was a big thing. He was now trying to sell hair on campus. Everybody was hustling. 
And being a part of that environment taught me how to hustle. I was now selling, you know, phone cases. I was now trying to do different things. When people were in the library studying, I was going to the wholesalers and buying snacks so I can sell it to people after they've been to the library, right? So there was that hustle mentality was there. So I thank God that Brunel gave me that hustle mentality. And that's where it started from for me. Wow. I love how you said how you got that hustle mentality. Same similar to me. Obviously, I was born, bred in Nigeria and my hustle started quite very young as well. And in campus, I almost I sold anything sellable. There you go. And I shared on my new book, The Test, mm. you know, how I sold anything sellable in campus. And, and that's where I come from. And I gave birth to that entrepreneurial side of that. me, you know, and I mean, coming from Nigeria, you know, for, for someone like myself, you know, I'm in my 40s now. And 20 years ago, when we came to this country, the only black people that I saw were just, I mean, th- that community of people was just, you know, it was all about prayer without action. Uh, it was all about fasting without action mm. and waiting for manners to fall from heaven. Obviously, the Bible says my people suffer because of lack of knowledge. Mm. And from the moment I discovered that the Bible says my people suffer because of lack of knowledge, it wasn't like there was an issue somewhere or some, you know, and my life changed. And this is the reason why when I bring people like yourself who have achieved some great things in life, and I always don't want to run away from the conversation of race. I always don't want to run away from a conversation of the fact that people don't want to talk about it because I want us to talk about it. I want us to empower. When I started doing social media, when I started showing up on Instagram in the last four or five years that I've been showing up, mm. when I look around people who are now doing content and I smile because when I started, I was looking. Oh. I never saw people pushing it as hard as I am wow. pushing it. And I see people now telling me, oh, Dan, I'm doing podcasts because of you. I'm doing oh, this wow. picture because of wow. you. And when you came through just now, you saw my business partner, Kevin. Mm. 2018, I met Kevin. Mm. Kevin was my mentee. Mm. Then we became business partner. And the good thing with him was that he was good with cameras. Mm. So I said to him, I don't have the money to pay yeah. you. Yeah. But I promise to give you X number of share in my company. Yeah. Come and work with me. Let's Amazing. let's go and suffer together. Amazing. We will reward we will end the reward one day. I'm not saying I'm there yet, we're still building yeah. because it's not over until it's over. Absolutely. But this is what I'm trying to talk about because today now, when you look, you see, you know, my very good brother the other day, Manosuko, he just released a book, you know, and he's on TV. There is work until we all come collaborating right. together. You That's said right. you saw Tim Campbell. He looked like you. Mm. Until we tried to make a lot of us who look like us be seen, be yeah. heard. Yeah. You know, just like now, Afrobeat is now playing in the yeah. White House. I saw Donald yeah. Trump and the other day, and I, I watched a TV. I was, I was watching a TV program or rather something on YouTube, and I saw Joe Biden not his head to <laughs> Afrobeat. And I'm like, yes, and that's what we need to Absolutely. do. Because the world, Africa is a big, big, big nation. And the market in Africa is huge. The market for black people international is huge. Absolutely. We need to check the status score. We need to make sure that there is wealth flowing around us. And the reason why there is no wealth flowing around us is because sometimes we believe in the academic knowledge, mm. but we don't believe in the practical knowledge. That's correct. So the academic knowledge is people going to school to study science, medicine, and all of this. But what about the entrepreneur who didn't yes, go to school exactly but has entrepreneurship point. in them exactly. but can actually rise to the top? Exactly my point. Yeah. You know? 
so it is it's so so amazing to just hear you say how that society you know how you guys came together to empower yourself and mm. stuff like that so let's talk about female entrepreneurship and first of all what what is your take on female entrepreneurship because i think there's not enough especially black female entrepreneurs in this country in mm. the united kingdom i think there's not enough of you mm. like first of all what did it take your mindset to become a female entrepreneur and also at the same time a professional because your bio says a professional also a side hustler yeah and i love that yeah first how did you crap that word I'm, I'm i'm trying to amplify the fact that people can hustle while trying to succeed in their profession whether it's their career and all the way I've had a kind of double track career where I've I've worked in consulting I then moved to banking I reached I was director level by the age of 28 27 28 um, lived in Switzerland for four years um, now working at Meta I've done stuff in my corporate career but alongside of that I'm the individual I'm the kind of person I'm just not I can't just do one thing. Mm. I get itchy feet by doing one thing. Mm. And I'm a risk I'm a risk taker. Mm. So I like to try something, see where that takes me. Try another thing, see where that takes me. And then as I've learned as I keep going, keep going, I get better at doing something. I believe in the fact that it's important to have multiple streams of income. I believe that's important. You know, they always say that a millionaire has seven streams of income yeah. minimum. Um, the Bible, I believe the Bible also says that invest in seven ventures, if not eight. I mean, there is a scripture that is scriptural. Yeah. So I also fundamentally believe it's important to start to generate, yeah. especially right now where there is a cost of living crisis. Yeah. Um, there is a, tech sector that's going through tremendous challenges where people are being made redundant left right and center but if we can educate ourselves to start side hustling where um, you can do that alongside your career but also be really successful in your career right and it doesn't have to mean you taking up another starting a business it could mean you taking a board position a trustee position it can mean you helping another business collaborating with another business to help them to be successful yeah. I think all too often nowadays people feel like it's important that they have something that they own and it's losing if we go back to what you said about us helping each other and supporting yeah. it means everybody it's, it's almost like everybody just wants to have something for themselves yeah. but why can't we be a trustee or a board member on somebody else's company 100% that is a side hustle do you know what I mean? Funny enough, you say that it took me more than two years to convince Kevin. Mm. I said, listen, you don't have to be the entrepreneur. Be the entrepreneur. Correct. Because there's entrepreneur, there's yeah, entrepreneur. Absolutely. The entrepreneur is actually, they're the yeah. most powerful people Correct. than the entrepreneurs. Correct. Because sometimes, I think you're 100% right, everybody is trying to go and build something of their own Correct. and building it wrongly yeah. and actually running back to the, the nine to five that they be like, oh, yeah, go and do this, go and do that, you know, and people are running back to their job because when they got into the real entrepreneurship life, they discovered as an them. entrepreneur, wake up in the morning, you're thinking, how do I generate the next income? Correct. I mean, I'm not there yet. I'm still building. I yeah. like you. A lot of us are still building. I'm the first person to put my hand up. But what I'm slowly starting to self-aware of my own 
limitations self-aware of what I'm good at versus what I'm not good at before I used to want to do everything you know I've got to a point where that I might not be the best person to take it to the next level that's a realization that's me being self-aware so I'm looking for people that are ready for a turnkey business that they can literally come and pick it up but everybody wants to run and start something from scratch you can find people like me that have built something that already have a name come and take it from us and take it to the next level because I've realized with my capacity I can only get it to so far right and it takes maybe somebody who's not as tunnel visions as I am more you know innovative maybe has um, other skills bigger and better than I have and that's why people do franchise businesses because you don't have to start it from the beginning you can pick it up and run with it or come to people like me who's got businesses that I've realized I've taken it as far as I possibly can get take because I actually believe in the fundamentally when it comes to business you should operate a business in the way that it works without you it can operate without you that's what I fundamentally believe in and why do we have a lot of venture capitalists and uh, private equity firms because they want to build a business and exit that is what they want they want to make money and they can make money through exit so why do we as entrepreneurs not have the mentality that we should build a business to a certain level and exit but no we want to just build it keep running keep running keep running keep running keep running no, I feel like we should get to a point where we can build something, realize that you've taken as far as you can take it to, exit, give it to somebody else, and they can now take it to the next level. But not a lot of people have that kind of mentality. I'm there. I have businesses. I'm ready for people to take off my shoulder. I've built it. I've built the brand. Now they can take it. There's inquiries, inbound inquiries coming in, but maybe I might not have the capacity or might not have the skills to take it to the next level. So I think it's an importance that people should be self-aware of their limitations and find people that have the strengths that maybe complement like you've got your business partner he has a strength that you you maybe didn't have and he's able to work with you but I think there's power in collaborations and there's power in trying to you don't have to start something from scratch and everybody seems like they're running to start their hair business they're this they're that they're this from scratch when you can take something a turn there's turnkey businesses out there that you can pick up and run with you know statistics shows it says I think if I was right over 45% of new businesses that start don't even last the first 12 months they don't they don't but if there was people that could actually start to now pick up those businesses and take it to the next level that's something that we haven't really thought about before 100% I mentor people in property, in business, and so on and so forth. When people come to my three days coaching business, I mean, coaching company, so they come for me to coach them into property and they're excited. I said, listen, yes, I get you excited. You're fired up now. Yes, you can go and do it. But the reality is after this weekend, you step out of this door is the ability for you to hold on to the information that you got application of that knowledge Correct. for the next 12 months and still be inspired still be motivated Correct. that can take you to year two yeah. then year two the ability for you to still keep oiling that you know oiling that um you know watering yeah. that grass yeah all right or oiling and foiling that momentum is what allows you to go to year three year four Correct. And, and sometimes people say, oh, I'm, I'm being too harsh about it because I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years mm. of my life and I've failed after failed after failed after failed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, failure. I, uh, failure. I, I remember having a conversation with Schmade, um, the um, co-founder of Afro Nation. Yes. 
And he says something that I'm going to use anywhere you see me now. I'm going to quote him yeah. because it was the most powerful sentence phrase I've heard this year. I failed so many times. I'm great. I think there's so much power in that statement because a lot of people don't realize that failure is what people takes people to the next level. Yeah. You could fail. Like you said, you failed after fail. I failed so many times, but people see failure as a negative. What Shmay just said was something that made it a positive. I fell so many times. I'm great. You know, I wrote the test. Mm. And uh, when you came through and I was sharing some things about the test. So the test is just about mountains of adversity turned into success. Like compound effect, right? So normally the compounding effect would have been, for example, here is... You know, the company fair, most time people look at it in a positive way and say, okay, yeah, if I save a pound every single day, you know, I'm eventually going to have a hundred pound. Mm. But if you lose a pound every single they're day, they're not going to see it as compounding. They're not going like, to see that as compounding. Yeah, yeah. But for me, my failure has compounded into wisdom. I love That's it. Powerful. That's right. It's compounded into wisdom. Right. It's compounded into ex, you know, experience. Right. My mother used to tell me something for a very long time. He says, it's what you see in life mm-hmm. that you use mm. to accelerate your life. Mm. What you have been through is what accelerates you. Mm. It's what uplifts you. Mm. Are you able to... I mean, I've had situations in my life where, you know, I was, you know, I don't like to say, it, but, I, I, you know, it's in the book now. I went through mental challenge. I went through mental health challenge where I was depressed and for two years I couldn't sleep because I lost money because I lost business I was losing my life I was losing my marriage I was angry I was always angry but those are the things that build me up Mm, today so even when the worst happens so someone said to me the other day it's like interest rate I used to invest in property I said (laughs) I will invest every single day as long as I raise more money. Because once you understand that everything in life compounds into opportunity. That's right. So whether good or bad, it compounds into, 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 into opportunity. And not a lot of people are ready, though they aspire to becoming entrepreneurs, that can be able to fail forward rather than... Absolutely. Failing, you know, most before backwards. It reminds me of a conversation I was having with a financial advisor just a few days ago. And I was telling him that some of my, he was asking me, okay, let's list out some of your assets, etc. And then um, I told him, oh, let's not, co- let's not consider some of my stocks right now. He said, okay, what are they? I said, they're all in the negative. They're all red, right? And then majority are red. And, and I said, oh, I don't even want to consider it. He said, but will you consider that in 10 years time, if in 10 years time, those assets turned around I said of course I would he said then don't disregard it so it's a negative now that one pound that you said one pound one pound one pound is gone it's a negative now but the lessons just holding on to those lessons alone like you said I love what your mom said will accelerate and build you up and in 10 years 5 years time 10 years time you're going to build up more than you would have had at that time Yeah. do you know what I mean yeah 100% and entrepreneurs don't like to hear that when they especially when when they when they're on the startup if someone told me when i was starting that you're going to fail you probably wouldn't have done it you know i would probably would prepare myself and this is one of the reasons why i talk from the two sides i was going to write a book called the act of success and all of a sudden 
I'm going to trademark that name now before people go and take <laughs> that name. <laughs> yeah, I've said it too many times now. I was writing a book called The Act of Success. And then it all swapped around to become the test. Because without a test, there would not be an act for That's success. Right. right? Without, without, I mean, I've been through so many adversity that I had to learn to convert. It's like the Bible says, know thyself. Mm. The moment you know yourself, Mm. And you cannot know yourself if you have not failed, if you've not cried. Just being self-aware. You know, and, and that brings me to, you know, what you said just now about the tech revolution, people losing their jobs, people trying to create seven streams of income. What is your take on people trying to create seven streams of income at the same time, you know, whilst they're trying to create one? Because I have, I have my reservation on this and I'm going to see what your reservation is. Everybody has their reservations. Everybody, some people are of the school of thought that, oh, focus and build to um, focus on one area and make that success, which I know everybody's different. Everybody can do it in different ways, right? I'm just the individual that I'm interested in loads of different things. Yeah. And I can sit here now and say maybe five of my side hustles that I've done could have all failed. But I tried them. But I tried them whilst I still had a safety net. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Because I'm a little bit of a risk taker. Um, one of the businesses that I started and failed was in Ghana where I found that when Uber was just starting in Ghana, right, and it was becoming big business and then the model there in Ghana is where you can become a car owner and you can give it to drivers. I went to go and buy, we went to go and buy a lot of cars in Switzerland and ship them to Ghana. But we didn't think far in the sense that, and I was doing this whilst I'm working my full-time job, right? So go and buy cars, ship them to Ghana, find drivers, drive them, they'll, write, they'll work for Uber, they'll pay me every week, but then the drivers will start having like excuses, start making excuses. And then um, the roads are so bad. So the maintenance costs will outweigh this. And this car had an accident and then this will happen and this and this. And it just failed. What happened when your car's had an accident? Did you lose out completely? Lost everything. I mean, it, it just, I mean, I remember you saying that you had an accident with your, 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 your trucks, right? I mean, ours were cars, not trucks. So I don't even know what, I can't begin to imagine what you've been through on that. You know why I asked that? Mm. Because when that happened to me, my insurance had expired. Oh. You know, and this literally spurred a lot of questions on social media recently. Oh, you felt emotional about the video um, because a lot of people, I actually read most of the comments and people are like, oh, you're crying because you didn't have insurance policy. Number one, yes, I did have insurance policy, but it was being managed by a manager and he forgot to renew the insurance mm. policy when it expired. Mm. That was one. And that's well. Number two, sometimes how many people insurance at that time at that time obviously yeah. because we, are, we live in the west we understand insurance yeah but even at that uh, there's still some reservation yeah. around it they might not even paid out even if you had it they might you know what i mean so we just the cars ended up being sold still there giving away whatever it's, it was just hard but i had the safety net of my full-time job. Yeah. You, you have something I mean? to fall forward to. Exactly. But all of this built me up. All of it built me up. Do you know what I mean? Because if you don't, you don't learn anything when everything is working. Do you, do you agree with that? I agree 100%. Yeah. Like that so much with this transportation business failing. And we were thinking large scale, fleet. Do you know what I mean? Like, but... We learned a lot from it. Wow. Let's go back to mindset a little bit and then we're going to try and wrap up. 
very very shortly so you you spoke about mindset at the beginning of this conversation and for me i have i go to a very big church we have over five thousand members you know if i'm very right because the church capacity is about five thousand capacity and once in a while it does Mm. fill up Mm. you know so but across the globe we're definitely more what is your take around the world creation mindset within the black and ethnic minority in the united kingdom that's a very big question. I'm curious to know why you brought up the, I, the you brought up church before you took it to that question. Yes. Like what what's where are you thinking? The reason why I brought church in is that the Bible tells us, right, that everything in this planet, wealth hidden in dark places, mm-hmm. belongs to us, mm-hmm. His children, mm-hmm. and black people, we go to church more. Yeah. But the church is also one of the poorest. Yeah. So I was having a very, very interesting conversation with my father and the Lord. And he said, we belong out there. Keep going. Don't just be a doctor. Be a research doctor. Mm. Don't just be a property developer. All right. And his words transform my life. But yet I have been where I've seen some of the people and they like to keep it quiet. They like to keep it, you know, they, they rise to the top of their career. Nobody knows about it. So for me, it's not the, obviously, it's not the church that's a problem. Is I know you have to pray, mm. right, to get God to work. But I think prayer without action. Absolutely. You know, so it's a very controversial conversation. Yeah. But what is the mindset, especially because I'm going by data. I'm not going by the rich people that I know that are black. Yeah. I'm going by what data tells me because data says, you know, over 54,000, sorry, over 54% of black people are poor. I think there's a lot of, well, as, you, as you were speaking, and the reason I asked you that, I'm a Christian as well. So I, I wanted to ask that just to understand where you're coming from. But as you spoke, a lot of things just came to mind. And it goes back a lot of things are deeply rooted in mm. culture. I'll give you an example. It might be different from a Nigerian ca- culture um, standpoint. Nigerian Ghana the same. <laughs> See, I would challenge you on this because Ghanaians typically, we are more reserved yes. as a culture, right? Um, growing up, we're taught not to answer back, not to ask questions. You go into class, this is what the teacher says, this is what you do. You don't challenge the teacher, right? you probably are able to pass that class by reading everything verbatim. Whereas in the, let's say the UK culture, Caucasian culture, majority groups, culture, whatever it may be, it's all about curiosity. It's all about questioning. It's all about uncovering more things. It's all about, you know, you're scored on points at school for critically assessing things. Do you know what I mean? Whereas in our culture, it is, if you can answer this verbatim, you've got a point. So there's two schools of thoughts that I've seen. This is my experience of what I've seen. And if it starts from there, if people are not curious and they're reserved and they are, then they're less likely to go out there and forcefully take what is rightfully theirs because they're in the background. They're reserved. They don't want to want everything cool. They want the trouble. Exactly. That is the Ghanaian nature. That's a typical Ghanaian nature, 
we're, we're, I believe we're more reserved, right? And I'm sure if you, and so, so your question was more from a a, a, a general standpoint, general right? broad, standpoint, broad yeah. which I do think translates in some areas in terms of our upbringing, how we were brought up, etc. You know, because there is there's that area, but there's also the fact that we weren't brought into a system where our parents would do life insurance, for example. Yeah. Whereas our counterparts did life insurance and that's why inheritance has passed on and that's why they have access to more wealth because you know a, a lot of a lot of assets are, are are passed on or handed over right whereas us we we barely even do wills right when we do a will siblings are fighting over it then they end up selling it then they end up taking the money that's what i've seen in our culture with a culture standpoint we come from so there's a lot of this this straightness coming not from the level you're talking about but i'm trying to root out yeah. the culture area taking it deeper into deeper, yeah. our, our, our roots right and that's where i've seen the troubles and the challenges have been which ultimately means that there is this disjointness between our own people um and in some cultures you get this crab mentality only one person that looks like me can be there you know and I think society has taught us to be like that because now trying to pull each other down rather than lifting each other exactly now if you go into everybody's talking about diversity inclusion everybody's talking about it right now what does that mean what does that now happen what's now happening is that there is this intentional activities that's going on around diversity inclusion which means somebody needs to look like and tick the box right which in some regards means that only one person can look like that person or two people can look like that meaning that it's not if i'm there somebody's there so they've ticked the box now let's move on to other agendas that's what i'm seeing right so that's filtered down to this whole notion you're talking about though why are we not together why are we not you know joined up together like our counterparts so i'm seeing it in different angles there's different areas it's deep Relating to this, he's so you know deep. I mean? He is very deep. Do you think it's because we 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 love academica? We 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 love to get academical as well as we don't really like personal development because there's two different things here. Personal development brings more awareness than actually academical knowledge, right? Personal development is, for example, someone learning from you personally how you've maybe went from here to there and then applying that story to themselves. All right, academic knowledge meaning it has to be this process in order for you to rise to the top. Mm. Mm. You could argue that, but I think there's two there's two schools of thought. Let me give you an example. Yeah. I saw someone I got introduced recently to someone and said, "Oh, I'm a real estate developer." He's like, oh, "What university did you go to?" Mm. And I said, "Oh, I went to University of Benin." Mm. So, what did you study? I said, "I studied sociology and anthropology." It's like obviously old school guy, be like in his fifties. Like, oh, how I don't see the connection. Sociology, property developer. But I don't see the. Con- it was well read. His his base here. And he's lived here almost all his life. It's like, oh, okay, so you're into real estate now? And I said, yes. And he said, okay. And instantly, no word of a lie, he started giving me advice. Okay, why don't you get a degree in real estate? Why don't you get this, get that? You know, and he started quoting all the academic qualification certified by university for me to take on, to back off, 
you know, back up what I am, I have done and what I've achieved. And I was speaking about branding and he watched one of my big videos on YouTube and he said, okay, go and get a media qualification. You're still very young. Da, 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 da. So I said, but I am the academic case study because I built a brand from, from nothing. Yeah. I'm the case study. The university should pay me yeah. to actually come and teach the, yeah. teach their student how to actually apply yeah. of turning yourself into yeah. a brand. Yeah. Because look at what I've achieved. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, no, no. So what I'm trying to say in this point is that, you know, there is there could be a conflict between what I'm saying, academical and personal development. Because Bill Gates never went. Mm -hmm. Bill Gates doesn't have mm -hmm. a degree, but he's mm -hmm. still one of the richest people in the world. Mm -hmm. Elon Musk, obviously Elon Musk went to school. But I mean, Richard Branson, yeah, you know, yeah. he was dyslexic, yeah. but he, he learned a skill of hiring the most intelligent people. Correct. So my point I'm trying to make here is, the, this conversation is quite deep-rooted mm. because uh, the first guy who invented the traffic light was a black man. Mm. The owner of Gatwick mm. is, a, is yes. a Nigerian. Yeah. So how many yeah. times do you hear of him yeah. on the news? Mm. You know, has he even written a book? I haven't found one book that he's written. Mm. The black, you know, the most rich black man on the planet is Aliko Dankote. Mm -hmm. You know, how many white people know him by his name? Obviously, he's got the biggest refinery now. So the point I'm trying to make at the end of the day is that there's a lot of work for the black yes. for for, the, for black people yes. to 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 you know to to be done. I was studying statistics from Nigeria the other day. It says twenty percent of Nigerians are wealthy. Mm. So we're a country of over two hundred fifty million. Mm. That's a very big. Mm gap mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if we take that across the whole of Africa and we bring it back to the UK uh, that's what I'm trying to establish yeah. so what do we need to start doing in order for us to change this narrative that's a huge question wow that's a huge question that I, I don't know the answer to that's the thing because um, you've mentioned some really great use cases and examples I mean I didn't know that the owner of Gatwick until I saw the numbers game right but that takes amplification it takes people to celebrate them to celebrate them and that's probably the only thing that we can do right now is to bring out those stories and start celebrating them that's it that's it because it literally wasn't until I saw the numbers game that I realised that the owner of Gatwick Airport is a Nigerian is a black man do you know and so we have to look at how we can amplify but also collaborate work together do you know what I mean? Yeah. And people like you are doing it. You're you're amplifying people's voices. You're uncovering stories. And I always talk about the fact that there is there are people there. There are people there. We just haven't heard of them. Yeah. So to change the narrative is we need more platforms to be able to amplify these voices. And that's why we're able to now, if I go back to the story of me seeing Tim Campbell at university, it's because I saw him. Yeah. So if we're able to see people more, it will resonate. I got my MBE because I saw somebody that also had an MBE. I was like, wow, I can get that. But if I didn't know about the fact that a black person that looks like me can get one, then I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got one. So I think it's important to amplify voices as much as possible for that narrative to shift. I totally agree with you. Lauren, it's been so, so, so super powerful. Like, I just love the fact that I can generally have a conversation uh, and I hope the audience here is able to obviously 
pick out a lot of this. There's a lot of key nuggets dropped. I cannot let you go without talking about property. Hmm. You are an ambassador to an African property uh, company uh, who you're promoting, uh, you've partnered with them. Do you invest in property yourself here in the UK? Uh, yeah, residential. But okay. in Ghana, it's more for investment purposes. Um, so let's talk like, about the current property UK market at the minute. Hmm. So, you know, I guess your property is around buy to let mm-hmm. or, you know, you yeah. rent the family. Yeah. Great. So what's your take that black people can start investing more into, you know, property, building that wealth and obviously transferring that wealth real estate because statistics have shown to us that over time every 10 to 15 years the property doubles it it doubles in value that's number one Mm. number two the only one thing that beats inflation Mm. is real estate Mm -hmm. so just give one very interesting nugget to the people why they should do property Oh gosh, you've you've just mentioned everything, right? I think for me, property is the only asset that there's hardly ever any guarantees of assets, right? The stock market, cars, people buy cars and think it's an asset, uh, education, etc. But the only asset that is almost guaranteed to appreciate is property. Yeah. Right. And if everybody's able, but I think there is. A lot of people find challenges of getting onto the property ladder. So what else can be done to 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 increase access that will make it easier for a lot of people to get involved? Right? Because right now I think, yeah, fine, there's these five percent do they still have five percent mortgages? I don't even Actually, know. Actually they just lost a hundred percent mortgage. There's a hundred percent mortgage uh, by Skiptons, uh there's a release about few months back or a few weeks back now so people can actually own where they live but the thing about me is i teach people how to actually not own where they live Mm. but to own investment portfolio first because i don't i don't own this house Mm. you know Mm. where we're doing this podcast Mm. i'm renting it Mm. but i own a multi-million pound property Mm. portfolio and again i did not start property because i had money mm. i leveraged and i That's learned how to work yeah. with people that had fifty thousand pounds hundred thousand pounds that wanted some return yeah and i worked with yeah. them yeah. and those people over the last few years doing that same thing over and over again i raised over 1.5 million mm. and i'm going to grow my portfolio mm. and i also came to understanding good depth yes and bad depth yes yes i don't do parties i yeah. can't remember the last time i celebrated yeah. in fact when i celebrated my party it was in my networking yeah. event called cake get people okay. champagne yeah i don't go on luxury holidays if mm-hmm. i do it's paid for by mm-hmm. others and i think that is one of the things that needs to be shared more that we can obviously come together that's number one support each other number two would be stop enjoying money build wealth first and enjoy the money so uh, yes you're very right if we can if we're able to come together you know understanding that wealth wasn't built on money you had saved wealth was built on leverage and debt that's a lot of uh, you know I, I remember when I went to go study my I know it's, we're, we're wrapping up but I went to study my, my MBA and one of the things that I took away from the MBA a lot of wealth has been generated by using other people's money yes and that was how our counterparts have been successful wow thank goodness I found someone that agrees with me <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people do boy. thank goodness that you agreed with me mm. and I love that Lorraine it's been super 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 amazing for me to have you in the studio here at property wealth 
and I cannot wait to get this in the hands of the audience. I'm sure a lot of our listen, a lot of people, a lot of our female has been asking. Daniel, get more females on here, and I'm sure we're gonna bring you back. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, as as well as do an Instagram follow up so people can get to know you more and stuff like that. And guys, make sure you go and share this. So thank you so much thank for for coming. Me. Thank you for having me. Wow. <laughs>